All right, give them give them it up for those kiddos. It has been an amazing week here, and we've had um, a ton of things to celebrate coming out of VBS. But one of the things that we got to celebrate on Friday was that the girls took home a friendly win over the boys. The girls were excited, right? The girls took home a friendly win over the boys in a competition to see who could raise the most money to support uh, the underground church in Indonesia. Now, we're like, what's the underground church? Um, In Indonesia, it's not cool. It's not always allowed to gather as Christians. And uh, so there are people there who uh, are literally being persecuted for their faith. Uh, There was a team of us that began this partnership uh, a little over a year ago. And we've been over there a couple times since. We've, we've met and talked to people who have been severely injured uh, because of their commitment to the gospel and to Christ. And so we, uh, we are in the, getting ready to start year two of a three-year partnership with them. And we're supporting pastors over there. And these kiddos jumped in to the tune of $225 over the course of the week, which was awesome. Really, really cool. And um, today... Uh, they did such a good job that we wanted to make sure that you guys had the opportunity to join them in that mission, all right? This is something that, that we're passionate about, taking the gospel to people that have never heard the name of Jesus before. And so uh, there's two ways you can do that. Uh, one, if you're new here, if this is your first time here, and uh, we, like we say one person at a time, we want to learn people's story one person at a time. At the end of each row, you'll find these little connect cards. Uh, if you'll uh, fill those out, name, phone, email, uh, we would love to connect and hear your story. And if you're new, every one of those that we uh, receive, Kenny, uh, one of our staff members, will be at the coffee bar afterwards. Every one of those is turned in equals $5 given to one of our mission partners, Kinesis Cog. Gary, if you want to wave your hand here. Gary and his wife, Connie, started uh, Kinesis Call, planting churches all around the world, and they helped us start this partnership. So that's one way. But the other way is this. Um, today we're going to introduce something called text giving at Christ Community Church. Uh, so this is something you can, be, you can use from now on. But today, uh, we want to make a special emphasis. Anything that's given through text today, above and beyond what you usually give, is going to go to uh, our Indonesia Ch- Underground Church partnership. So you can text a dollar amount to the number on the screen there. It'll send you a little link, and you put in your information, and, uh, and that's it. So anything that's given to that will be added to uh, the $225 that our kids have raised this week. So... Um, it's been awesome. Uh, they've had an incredible week. It's, this board over here is inspiring, the, the chalkboard I'm called to follow God by, and the kids begin putting what God was asking them to do next. Uh, it shows a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to figure out what Jesus wants you to do next. Like That's tough work, but that's what our kids did, and, um, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about it with a story in Mark chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, if not, we're going to have it on the screen for you. It may be a story, um, even if you've never been to church before, you may have heard of the, um, the story that Jesus walked on water. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today after we read our scripture. So follow along with me just a few verses, Mark 6, verse 45 and following. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. 
Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded, because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Bible. It's your word to us. It's how you reveal yourself to us. And we pray that you would do just that today, that we would uh, hear uh, from you about your son Jesus, about the grace he gives to us and how he gives us the courage to stand and walk and figure out what's next in our relationship with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. That's really easy for Jesus to say, isn't it? He's Jesus. You know, there are so many things in uh, our life that we do or maybe we don't do because of fear. And when we make decisions out of fear, we end up afraid of who we have become because of those decisions. It's kind of a weird thing how that happens. Um, how many of y'all have ever been to summer camp of any kind? Kids are like, yeah, adults, you can remember back to those days, right? So um, I remember the first time that I went away for a week of camp. It's that mixture of like excitement and nervousness. Maybe, maybe it's the first time you've been away from your parents. I was, I was really excited, okay? Uh, actually, the camp that I grew up going to, my, my grandparents' property like surrounded it. So it was awesome. I loved it. And they had a rock climbing wall and a zip line and basketball courts, ping pong tables. Like that's what I was excited about, right? Forget all the other things. I was excited about those things. But the thing that I was excited about the most was that they had a pool with a slide, and you got pool time every day. Now, I grew up on a farm, and I worked a lot as a kid. It wasn't child labor. I'm, I'm grateful for it. But I didn't get to go to a pool. So when I got to go to camp, I got to be in a pool every day. So the first day at lunch, the director of the camp was working through announcements after everybody had eaten, and he said this. He said, by the way, if you, uh, if you want to swim this week, you need to come to the pool during rec today and do a swim test. You know those moments where like the life just drains out of you and you want to go hide in a hole? It was one of those moments because I don't know how to swim. I didn't know how to swim. And so I've been looking forward to swimming and by swimming I say getting into you know, shallow end and like jumping around because I was a tall kid. And uh, like, he's like, you got to go through the swim test. So I'm like completely dejected and ashamed because all my friends are going to go swim and I don't get to go swim. So that afternoon, everyone's putting on their swimsuits. They're heading up to the pool for the swim test. And I'm trying to play it cool. If you've ever been to camp, you know what this is like, right? You're trying to play it cool. And um, I put my gym shorts on and I go for the basketball court because I, I didn't want to, honestly, I didn't want to cry in front of them because I didn't go, get to go swimming. So I go to the gym the first day and I, I skip the pool. And that night at dinner, one of my friends asked the question that I didn't want to be asked. Hey, Blake, how come you didn't go swimming with us today? Daggone it. Like, hey, man, I don't know how to swim. I was so embarrassed. And he looked back at me and said, dude, the swim test is just if you want to get in the deep end. Anybody can get in the pool. I was like, oh, man. Like, I missed it. I missed a whole day of swimming. And the next day, right, the next day I totally went up to the pool and was the tall kid jumping around in the shallow end while my friends jumped off and did cool things off the diving board. Uh, but, like, that was just, that was, that was me. But I missed out on this opportunity because I was afraid of the fact that I couldn't swim. I was afraid for anybody to find out that I couldn't swim. You know, nothing good comes when we make decisions out of fear. That week, I almost missed out on the entire week of pool time because I was afraid. And when I think about my spiritual journey with Christ, I realize that I've missed out on a lot of opportunities simply because I was afraid of my own limitations. Can anybody join me in that? 
I've missed out on a lot of opportunities in my walk with Christ because I was afraid of my own limitations. I looked at the situation, I looked at me, and I thought, there's no way. I'll just go do something else. I'll just put that off. Why do we struggle with fear, yet know that we have faith in God? We say that God is limitless. We say that He can do all things, that He knows all things. And yet we begin to look into our world and we only see our own limitations. And we make decisions based upon our fear of those limitations. The disciples in this story, right? They had more proximity to Jesus than any other human being on the planet. Whoever was, is, is to come. They had ate, slept, drank, walked, talked, sweat with Jesus more than anybody in history. But they still hadn't put this whole picture together, right? Like they've been journeying with him. They've been joining him on the mission field. But they weren't understanding that this was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This was the promised Messiah, the one who was coming to die on a cross and forgive them of their sins. This just wasn't just a good guy or a prophet. This was God himself. You know, we kind of look at them and we judge them like, how could you not go? No, guys. And yet we look at our world today and we think about how many people look at Jesus as just another good guy who did the right thing. But when we realize that they didn't see that this Jesus was God, it explains their response to Jesus when he's walking out on the water. And we see that in verse 52. In verse 52, it says, actually starting at the end of 51, it says, They were completely astounded. Completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. He just fed 5,000 people, right, before they got in the boat. They had not understood about the loaves, and instead their hearts were hardened. These guys had been near Jesus, but they didn't know who Jesus was. And since they didn't know who Jesus was, their hearts were hardened to what was really going on. They failed to see that when people were being healed, it wasn't some black magic or, or revolutionary medical technique. It was God. They failed to see that when five loaves and two fish fed 5,000 people, that Jesus was more than a great guy with good intentions of serving the people. This guy was God. And I can't help but wonder if maybe you and I are a lot like the disciples in this. We are near Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. We work in a Christian workplace. We spend time with Christian people. We live in a society that largely still believes it's following Christian values. We're near Jesus in, in so many things that we do, but do we know Jesus? We see the good things he does in our community or in the lives of others, and we celebrate them. But our hearts are a little hardened to the fact that, that Jesus is more than a good guy who wants change in people's lives and betterment for the community. We don't know Jesus in the sense that he wants us to forsake our old lives, to, to leave them behind and chase after a new life with him. We get stuck in life and in our faith because we think we've prayed the prayer or we've been baptized and we failed to see that knowing Christ is about continually determining and doing the next thing that moves us closer to Christ. It's like we check a box and then we, we stop walking by faith. We're all good at falling into the rut of being near Jesus, doing the task that we think Jesus would want us to do, but not knowing Jesus. And when we do that, I believe that our lives begin to feel like the picture that's painted in this passage, right? Let's paint that picture together. Jesus has sent the crowds away. He's just fed them. A miracle has happened, and he sent them away. And, and he's gone to pray, which says so many things about Jesus. He's God himself, but he continues to connect with his Father in heaven through prayer. We can't make it without connecting with God, right? 
But after finishing his time of prayer, he comes to the shore, and the first miracle happens because he sees the boat out in the middle of the lake. This is a big lake, and his ability to, to see them testifies to his being God already. But then we read about what's going on. Verse 48 says, He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Doesn't that sound like life at times? We're straining at the oars, giving it our all, putting our back into it, and it still feels like the wind is against us. The question begins to form in our minds, what else do I have to do, Jesus? I thought by doing these things that that life would get better. What else do I have to do? When are the storms going to let up? And it says, very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. Wait, what? Jesus wanted to pass by them? We're going to talk about this in just a moment. Why would a good God want to leave his disciples in the middle of a storm? Verse 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. For us to understand what's really happening in this picture, we're going to have to to go back to a -a once-in-a-lifetime moment in in the life of a guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of Moses. Maybe you haven't. Moses was a man of God, and he was chosen by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He rescued them from slavery through Moses' leadership. And when Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the Israelites built a golden calf. Remember some of the story? So they reject the God who has just rescued them. These are the people that Moses is trying to lead. And he's a little fed up with it, right? He's like, God, you told me to lead these people, but they're rejecting you. Like, you did all these amazing things, and they don't want any part of it. So, so what are we going to do? He strikes up this conversation with God and basically says, God, I'm in. I'm yours. I want to do what's next. You had me at the burning bush, right? But you have asked me to lead these people, and they do not want to go. I feel like I've been near you, God, but I don't know you. Help me to know you more, right? This is Moses' request. I'm hungry for you. So Moses makes a request of God in Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 18. It says, Moses said, please, God, let me see your glory. Please, God, let me see your glory. Man, I don't know about you, but when I get into those hard moments of life, I just want God to show me his, like, God, remind me that you're real. Remind me that you're with me. Show me your glory. And God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. God wants Moses to know him, to not just be near him, but to know him, to see him. But to see God face to face, it's, it's too much for us as mere humans. And while I don't understand that, no, I, I believe that I will one day when Christ returns. I will understand why Moses couldn't see God face to face. So God says, I'll tell you what, all my goodness is going to pass by you so that you know me. But in my grace, I'm going to protect you at the same time. This is like the most beautiful display of God's power. He's like, I want to show you. I want you to know me. I want to reveal myself, but I'm going to put my hand over you and protect you so that my power doesn't squash you. 
And when it says that Jesus wanted to pass by his disciples that night on the lake, it's the exact same phrase. It's the same idea. That the glory and goodness of God was shining through Christ as he walked to Christ to see. He wanted to pass by so as not to harm his disciples. But in his grace, because he loved you so much and he doesn't want to squash you, he doesn't want the storms of life to, to bear down too heavily on you, he stops when they see him. And he simply says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When Jesus says those words, it is I, it is the same word that God said to Moses when he said, I am who I am. My name is Yahweh. In this moment, on a stormy lake, Jesus has told the disciples for the first time, I am God. Guys, I am God. You have been eating, drinking, sleeping, sweating, walking with God. And the disciples are just amazed. All of a sudden, it makes sense, and things are never going to be the same. The disciples moved in that moment from just being near Jesus and around all the good things that he's doing to knowing exactly who he was. Mark doesn't share what happens next in his version of the story. But as we uh, read the other Gospels, we read in, in Matthew about uh, one of the responses of the disciples, a guy named Peter. Peter was often the pioneer, and he was often the first to step out. And in this case, it was the same. In Matthew uh, chapter 14, in verse 28, Peter says this, Lord, if it's you... Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Man, this is totally me. Like, okay, God, you just said you're God, but prove it. If it's really you, tell me to come out here. And Jesus says, come. Come on, boy. <laughs> come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. If you know Jesus, you have to come towards Jesus. You have to get out of the boat. There isn't another plan. He doesn't save you and tell you that he'll swing back by and pick you up later at the end of your life. No, that's not how it works, right? He says, come. Come on, let's, let's go. Let's keep taking next steps. We ain't staying in the boat. We ain't staying in the storm. So if you say yes to Jesus at a young age and you live a long life, you've got a long life worth of next steps. And the same way, if you say yes to Jesus at age 35 and something tragic happens at age 45, you've got 10 years of next steps with Jesus. However long you know Jesus, you have next steps with Jesus. Our walk with Jesus doesn't stop. So how can you make that same move that Peter made and the rest of the disciples made from being near Jesus and around uh, Christian culture and all the good things to really knowing Jesus and understanding the next step that he's called you to? How can you move from making it to church every once in a while to seeing yourself as the church, as the bride of Christ? It's as simple as the next step. How can you move from seeing reading your Bible or praying as tasks to be completed so that you're a good person and instead seeing them as ways that you communicate with the great I am? It's as simple as taking your next step. How can you move from living your life by avoiding your fears and instead live a life where you face your fears through faith in the great I am? It's as simple as the next step. But everyone's next step is a little bit different, one person at a time.
when I was growing up, my family didn't do birthday parties. Um, I, like, it wasn't a bad thing. We weren't opposed. It just wasn't a thing. Uh, Mom made our favorite meal, and we had cake, and we called it a night. We got a present. It was great. Simple. Four boys. I guess that's what happens when you have four boys. But when I got married to Caitlin, I learned, I learned a lot of things. <laughs> I learned a lot of things. Four boys. But I, one of the things that I learned very quickly was that we were having birthday parties for our kids. That was a non-negotiable. So when those days uh, roll around in the lawyer household now, it, um, it is a foreign thing to me. It is very foreign to me. So those days are all about me asking Caitlin, honey, what else do I need to do? You tell me whatever you want me to do, and I will do it. Yes, ma'am. And when I think I've completed the list, I go back and I say, is there anything else that you would like me to do? She says, no. And then I hang around and she says, wait, there's another thing, right? You just, you just, you do the next thing. You make sure and knock the task list off one after the other after the other. Now, if you're married, maybe you can help me out on this one. If I treated my relationship with Caitlin like as husband and wife, if I treated it like I did throwing a birthday party, do you think our marriage would be in good shape? Our marriage would be in trouble, right? Can you just imagine? Okay, honey, I gave you a, a, a back massage. What else do I need to do? And the next thing comes, the next thing comes, the next thing. And like at some point, I'm going to be really bitter. I'm going to be really resentful, right? And, and what we would say is a relationship really becomes about what we do for one another rather than what we do together and what we're chasing after. You see, too often, we treat a relationship with Christ like a religious task. Okay, Jesus, I got baptized. What else do I need to do? Okay, Jesus, I served on Love Shelbyville Day. What else do I need to do? Okay, Jesus, I signed up for another year in Community Kids. What else do I need to do? Surely things will get better now. Jesus, what else do I need to do? You know, it's religion that asks, what else do I need to do? Relationships ask the question, what's next? You know, when Caitlin and I really connect and work well together, it's when we're moving forward to the next thing together. When we avoid asking what task needs to get done and we can really push forward to the excitement of the next season of, of life, the next season of serving, the next season of childhood or parenting or the next financial chapter together, that's when that relationship begins to give us life. And I think the same thing is true for our relationship with Christ. We must, we must push past this idea that our relationship with Christ is a list of tasks to be completed. And we must begin to spend time with Jesus in his word and in prayer, figuring out where are we going next together, Jesus? What's the next adventure as I take my next step with you? That's what this interaction between Peter and Jesus is all about. It's not about the step that Peter took onto the water. It's that Peter wanted to be with Christ, moving forward to the next thing. So what's next for you? What's next for you and Jesus? The beauty of it is, is that I can't tell you. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not in that relationship. But because I'm a preacher and it would be a really weird sermon if I didn't, let me give you some ideas. All right? So we got a screen up here. Here's what's deceptive. We look at this, and we already go into task mode. We're like, oh, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do this. Ma'am, that would be better if I could do this one or do that one. And it's not about the task, right? 
These are just ideas. You have to, get, you have to figure out how to get with the Lord. You've got to pray with him, spend time with him, get in his word, and see, God, which one of these things is my next step? I love that somebody's next step this week from VBS was to clean their room. That child is walking with the Lord. I don't care what anybody says. Sometimes your next step is to clean your room. Maybe your next step is one of these things. Maybe for the first time, you need to really put your faith in Christ and to say, I'm not going to make decisions anymore based upon my limitations, but instead I'm going to put my faith in a limitless God. And maybe what that looks like is what Eli did this morning by saying, I'm dying to myself because I can't trust myself. I make decisions based out of fear, but when I'm walking with the Lord in faith, then that's a new life and that's a journey that we're on together. And I want everybody to know that that's the journey that I'm on. Maybe you're the chair sitter, we don't have pews, and you're not serving because you think, man, I'm just tired, like the disciples were tired. They'd been going at it for weeks. But your next step is to serve, and in that, to find the character and heart of Christ. Maybe it's for the first time learning how to read and pray. I love this week, I saw a story of a, a ministry friend of mine. He said, my 11-year-old kid went to camp this week. He's been, like, I've been in ministry all this time. And he said, he came back from camp, and he said, Dad, I need to talk to you. He said, what's up, son? He said, here's what I want you to know, Dad. He said, I know that the Bible was important, but I don't know how to read the Bible, and I need you to sit down with me and read, like, help me know how to read my Bible. Man, I hope my kid comes to me and tells me that one day. But if he doesn't, like, I need to do that with someone else, right? Like, let's figure out how to do that. Maybe for the first time, maybe you gave to the Indonesian mission. That's the first time you've ever given money to the church. That's a huge next step, right? And I could go on and on and on and on. I could give you examples but I can't tell you what to do because these aren't tasks to be completed. These are the journeys and the adventures that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the universe, wants to go on with you. It's a relationship between you and him, and he wants to lead you to the next thing that he has for you. Every time you are faced with the next step, and that happens again and again and again and again, you're faced with the choice between faith and fear. Each time, Jesus is standing out on the lake saying, have courage, Blake. Have courage, Joe. Have courage, Jeff. Cindy, whatever your name is, put your name in there. Have courage. It is I. I'm God. I'm limitless. Don't be afraid. Sure, it's scary, but it can be scary, and you don't have to be afraid because you have me on your side. You have the opportunity, like I did, to hide in the gym because you're afraid that you're going to fail the swim test. You have the opportunity to hide behind your past because you're afraid to fail in the future. You have the opportunity to hide behind your busyness because you're afraid of what people might see if you slow down and really got to know people. You have the opportunity to hide behind your career because you're afraid of what, might, what people might say if your lifestyle was different and more simple. You have the opportunity to hide behind lies because you're afraid of the truth about yourself. You have the opportunity to hide behind debt because you're afraid to admit that your spending is out of control. You have the opportunity to hide behind social media and great family photos and awesome selfies because you're afraid that you're actually becoming more and more disconnected from family and true friends. You see, without Christ, you will continue day in and day out to make decisions that are based on fear. You'll look at the world and you'll say, what am I afraid of? And you'll run away from that. You will continue to protect yourself. 
But when you believe in the face of unbelief, when you, like Peter, crawl over the edge of the boat and place your faith and trust in the great I am, he unlocks in you courage that you could never find, boldness that you assumed you didn't have, audacity that restores your hope, and grit that pushes you to places that you've never been. And it all comes through taking your next step in Christ. Just one. One at a time. That's all he asks. Some of you are saying, I don't know my next step. I would encourage you to follow the lead of Jesus who got away to pray before he walked out on the water. Even still, just like Peter, there will be times that we fall. We read to verse 29 and it was super inspiring. And then you read verse 30. It says, but when Peter saw the strength of the wind, he was, what's it say? Afraid. Fear doesn't go away. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I love this. Because what it reminds us is that when we take our next steps, it doesn't mean that we're not going to fall. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to be hard. Don't assume that hard means harmful. Don't assume that falling means failure. Don't assume that exhaustion means elimination from this great race of faith. When you begin to fall, simply cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. That was the whole point of this exercise, right? Have faith. Have courage. It is I. And when you do those things, you might soon experience the great I am. Reaching down to grab you and to save you from yourself, from the trials of this world. You see, the reason that we don't have to be afraid is not because we don't face scary things. It's not because we won't fall down or be tired or get stuck in storms. It's because when we are in the middle of all those things, we know the great I am. And we can cry out to the God who saves. That is the great grace. And it brings us back to the passage that I read as we began our time of worship this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8. through 8. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the only way, the only one we can live for. Father, forgive us for assuming that being with you is just checking a, a, a list of tasks. Help us to press into knowing you, to being with you, to joining you on the outside, in the mess, in the journey of life. Give us courage as we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.